couple of weeks ago, I was with a group where the story of Bartimaeus was referenced, and I thought, well, I've never preached that one. And Bartimaeus is only mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, so I thought we'd give it a go. So that's why we are where we are today. We're in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. A story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. My husband and I have a a freshman in college this year, and it's currently open season for scholarships. And so she's turning in some applications. And on Thursday morning of this week, Keith said to me, Alice's transcript came in the mail, so I opened it and it's on your desk. I immediately knew that we had done it again. We had opened an official transcript envelope, taken the secure document out of the sealed package and messed things up for our kid. This ain't our first rodeo. We've done it before. And I'm not sure if it's good news for our seventh grader who, by the time that he is applying for scholarships, will we have learned our lesson or will we have forgotten what we learned? What I do know is there's no putting an official document back into an opened envelope. You can't do it. No amount of tape or glue or regret or curse words put it back in there. Nothing fixes it. Man, I really wanted to fix it because I like things fixed. I like things shiny and perfect. Too often this story of Bartimaeus is read as a fix-it story. I can tell it to you that way. Hear this story of the way Jesus fixed a blind man. A blind beggar was sitting by the road outside of Jericho. Jesus walked by. Jesus said to the man, what do you want? And he said, I want to see. Immediately he received his sight. That is a version. All of the words that I just said came from Mark chapter 10. But there are some things that are missing, and I would tell you they are important details. First of all, the man in the story has a name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. It's the only time that he's mentioned in the Bible, and while versions of this story do show up in Matthew and Luke, where Jesus heals a blind man outside of Jericho, Matthew and Luke don't give us his name. But Mark is very specific We have a name, and we have his father's name. And when we encounter unnamed people in the gospel that cross Jesus' path, 
Well, we then see Jesus more clearly. That when we are given a name, that person is to receive our attention. A name in scripture is like a spotlight on the text. So there's something about Bartimaeus that's important for us to notice. There's something about him that's instructive. Now, Mark 10 is not just a private dialogue between Bartimaeus and Jesus. There are other people in this scene. There's a large crowd outside of Jericho. Many people, the scripture says, and included in those many people are the disciples. And two of those disciples have just been mentioned a few verses earlier. James and John are mentioned in verses 35 through 38. We get their names, James and John, and we get their father's name, the sons of Zebedee. They're followers of Jesus who came to him with a request. Really, the request is more like a demand. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, what would you want me to do for you? And they reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. They don't know what they're asking. They think that they are making a bid to play an important role, to have seats of significance, one on the right and one on the left of Jesus, but they don't get it. It's as if they actually don't know their place as a disciple, and especially they don't know their place as a disciple of the strange Messiah. Bartimaeus seems to get it. He has a similar dialogue with Jesus This at the end of this passage, and some scholars say it is also the end of a larger section of Scripture. Bartimaeus receives his sight, and he follows Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. The place of the disciple is on the path, following the rabbi. The place of this disciple is on the path, following the rabbi to Jerusalem, where the crucifixion will take place. So this story for me is above all else an image of faith. It is an image of faith clearly defined. And I think that three characteristics of faith show up pretty clearly in this story. First of all, faith is showing up. Faith is showing up to the mystery not as a bystander, but as an active participant. Bartimaeus shouts in a crowd of people, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's the only person in this gospel to address the Messiah with his given name, Jesus. It's as if he says, hey, Messiah, I'm talking to you. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way to show up to mystery. James and John have already shown us the wrong way. They've schooled us on the wrong way on this topic, borrowing the ear of mystery and whispering into it, give me some of your power. That's wrong. Bartimaeus instead says, have mercy, have mercy on me. That's humility. Showing up to mystery with humility. In a beautifully written essay, Brian Doyle calls humility the final frontier. It's the title of the essay, The Final Frontier. And Doyle says humility has not come easily for him. 
that he learned a bit about humility when his wife agreed to marry him, even more when he was graced with children, and more as he has lost friends and loved ones to death. He wrote, If we are lucky, we realize that we are all broken and small and brief, that none among us is ultimately more valuable or rich or famous or beautiful than another. And then perhaps we begin to understand something deep and true about humility, that humility is the road to love. So showing up to mystery with humility. Faith is also showing up vulnerably. Vulnerability. In our video, Brene Brown said, Faith must have vulnerability. Faith without vulnerability and mystery just isn't faith, and I agree with her. Call it whatever you want to call it, but don't call it faith. Bartimaeus is vulnerable as a blind beggar. Simply by his place in society, we can say that this is a guy who's done his graduate work on the topic. But he makes a move. He intentionally makes a move that leaves him defenseless. He tosses his cloak aside. His cloak is where all his belongings would be located, spread out on the roadside to receive money. He leaves it behind, the story says, and he jumps to his feet. And that's what it is to be vulnerable, to walk away, to leap away from all that guards and protects you. And last of all, I would say that faith is showing up courageously. Bartimaeus doesn't just step away from his shield. He calls out. He shouts repeatedly to Jesus. Even when the crowd orders him to be quiet, he cries out, Rabbi, I want to see. The word for, cor- for courage comes from the French word for heart. So when we act courageously, it's as if we put our heart out there. And a request to see is exactly that, I believe. A request to see is putting your heart out in the open. Annie Dillard has a beautiful chapter titled Seeing in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And in that chapter, she references reports from some of the first surgeons to perform cataract surgery in the United States and in Europe. Their patients were men and women who were blinded by cataracts from birth. And then with this new surgery, they received sight, miraculously. It doesn't go well for everyone. One father reports that his 20-year-old daughter shuts her eyes to walk around his home, and especially when she goes up and down the stairs. He says she's never happier or more at ease than when she closes her eyes. Another parent reports that his 15-year-old demands to go back to the asylum for the blind. I can't stand it anymore, he says. I want to go back. If things aren't altered, I'll tear my eyes out. A disheartening number of people refuse to use their new vision. One medical record says the child can see but will not make use of his sight. It's as if it's too much. The light is too much. 
However, many newly sighted people teach those around them how familiarity dulls our vision. One child is astounded to discover that every visitor that comes in her room has an utterly different face. One patient describes the human hand, there's something bright and then holes. And one little girl visits a garden, stands speechless in front of a tree. And after taking a hold of it, she proclaims, the tree has lights in it. This tree has lights in it. You know, I'm reminded of Moses. Moses is witness to a tree with lights in it. A tree on fire, but not consumed. From this shrub, the very voice of God that designates holy ground and promises devotion and promises freedom. Annie Dillard writes about light. Although it comes to those who wait for it, it is always, even to the most practiced and adept, a gift, a total surprise. I cannot cause light. The most I can do is try to put myself in the path of its beam. May each of our souls be strong enough to cry out, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. That kind of courage is faith. I'm going to ask that you would stand and recite with me Psalm 34. We're going to read Psalm 34 responsively. You'll see that your response is bolded. This is a profession of our faith. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. And I'll ask that you join me in the great Thanksgiving as we prepare to celebrate the sacrament of great of communion together. And again, your response will be bolded. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God. You are creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. 
You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By the baptism of your suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord and Savior took bread, gave thanks to you, He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. The Christ has died, the Christ has risen, the Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.